0: Welcome to Christchurch Manchester Sermon Podcast. CCM is one church that meets every Sunday in various locations across Manchester. For more information about who we are or about our Sunday meetings, please visit www.christchurchmanchester.com. In my home it's not on this earth, not in this world. Start by sharing something happened to me. Oh gosh, about ten years ago, I was, I was a youth worker. Um, at a church in South Manchester. And one of the things I used to do as a youth worker is I get invited into the local high school uh, for their RS classes. And I do a bit of teaching on what Christianity is. And, and one of the things I'd start off with is I'd start with the kids. It was normally about sort of year eights so or about 12 year olds. And I'd start off by asking the kids, what is a Christian? And there would always be one kid and put their hand up and go, someone who's baptized. And I go, nope. And they'd be like, really? Oh, you. That's not, no, no, that's not, you know, that's not what being a Christian is. So Christians do get baptized, but that's not what makes you a Christian. Then another kid puts his hands, oh, a Christian is someone who goes to church. And I was like, no, you can go to church and not be a Christian. And they kept going like this, and they'd ask, is it this, is it this? this, this. I kept saying, no, 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 no. And then I'd say this, I'd say, all right, Christians believe the entrance requirements to heaven are perfection. It means you've, if you, you've, you can never have done anything wrong ever, or even have thought anything wrong ever, if you want to get into heaven. What happens always? One kid puts her hand up. So how does anybody get into heaven then? And I'm like, well, I'm really glad you asked that question because I'm (laughs) going to explain that question to you. Okay. Now, there is one person who walked this earth who was perfect. Only one ever. Any guesses now? Jesus, right? Jesus. So, what you can do is, and it's almost like cheating, all right? But don't tell your teachers. What you can do is, you can pray to Jesus and ask him to swap his perfect life with your imperfect life with all the bad things you've done. And when you ask Jesus that, he says yes. And what he does with your imperfect life, all the bad stuff, is he he takes the punishment on the cross for that. He gets punished, not for his stuff, because he was perfect, but for your stuff. And then what happens is, when you're this this life ends and you stand before God at heaven and God says, you need to be perfect to get in. He looks at you and because you've done the God swap, he says, you're perfect, come on in. And the kids are like, wow, I did not know that. That is really interesting. And what always happens when you have this conversation, the room goes quiet. And one of the things I explain is that Jesus takes the punishment for every sin you have done in the past, and every sin you will do in the future, the ones you don't even know about yet. And when I explain that, the room always goes quiet, and one kid will put up their hand and go, so if you become a Christian, do the God swap, and Jesus pays for every sin you're on in the past, and every sin you will do in the future, does that mean when you become a Christian, you can just do whatever you want? All right? Now, whenever they ask that question, I know that they've got it. I know that they understand what the gospel is. And until they ask that question, I know they don't get it. They still think it's works. They still think they've got to do stuff to try and please God. Now, obviously, the answer to that question is, no, we don't just do whatever we want. But what we often do as Christians when figuring out how to live as a Christian is what we do is we swing in the complete opposite way and we go back to the law, so we put some rules in place to make us pleasing to God. We take good things and we make rules out of them. I've got to read my Bible every day. I've got to pray every day. We take good things, reading your Bible pray good things, and we make rules out of them, so that we will please God. Now, why do we do that? Well, we do it because it's safe because it's neat. You know, people like to put things in nice little neat boxes. You know, I've ticked that off. Good, God's pleased me. Read my Bible. That's why we do it. You know, if I do these things, God's going to be pleased with us. And that is exactly what the Galatians did. Now, you've been going through a series through Galatians over these last uh, few months. Now, the Galatians had different stuff that they made rules of, but they still did the same thing. And Paul, as you've probably seen over these last weeks as we've been going through Galatians, Paul is really angry with the Galatians for doing this. Now, well done for going through Galatians, everyone, I just want to say. Because basically, the first five chapters of Galatians is Paul having a go at the Galatians. You know, So it's not like a feel-good letter, really. He really is. He's having a go at them because they've fallen back into thinking that they have to keep the law to make them right before God. They've got to get circumcised. They've got to obey the feast days and all these other rules. They've got to do all these things for God to be pleased with them. And Paul's like, no, the only thing that makes you right with God is believing in the gospel, believing in Jesus' death for your sins, every sin you have done and every sin you will do. That is what makes you right with God, that and that alone. And that's what he's trying to get through to them. Now, in the passage we're going to look at today, in chapter 5, verse 16 to 26, Paul addresses the question the Galatians may well have been asking at this point of the letter, which is the same question those kids in that school classroom asked. And it's this, if we don't need to keep all these laws, and if Jesus has forgiven us from every sin, past and future, can we just do whatever we want? Can we just sin and be like, ah, oh, meh, Jesus will forgive it. You know, he's done it. He's taken it. D- 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 can we do that? Now, obviously, Paul's answer is no. Good, well done, everyone. Yes, it is no. If it would have been yes, it would have been an interesting sermon. Obviously, obvious answer is no, which we see in verse 13, a few verses before a passage. Paul says, no, that's not the way to live. That's called living by the flesh. That's just living any way you want to live. But he says, instead, what we should do is we should live by the Spirit. That's how we're to live as Christians, not by the law or the flesh, but by the Spirit. And that's what we're going to look at this morning, what it looks like to live by the Spirit. So we're going to read our passage. It'll appear on the screen behind me. You can follow along in your Bibles if you like as well. It's Galatians chapter 5, verse 16 to 26. Paul says this, so I say, live by the Spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the flesh desires what is contrary to the Spirit, and the Spirit what is contrary to the flesh. They are in conflict with each other, so that you are not to do whatever you want. But if you're led by the Spirit, you're not under the law. The acts of the flesh are obvious. Sexual immorality, impurity and debauchery, idolatry and witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking and envying each other. So the passage here we have is kind of like a game of two halves. You got the first half is all about the acts of the flesh, the old way of living, and then the second half of the passage is about the fruit of the Spirit or how to live by the Spirit. So Firstly, before we get to what it looks like to live by the spirit, what does living by the flesh look like? And I was thinking yesterday, I was trying to think of someone who embodies living by the flesh. And I thought, um, if I could think of someone like a fictional character, like it might, be, it might not be offensive or anything, but then, you, know, you know what popped into my head when I thought, who embodies living by the flesh? The Oasis lead singer, Liam Gallagher. That's who I thought. I read this list, and it just made me think of Liam Gallagher, honestly, right? And then I thought, oh, no, 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 actually, Liam Gallagher, I don't think he does embody this list. I just don't think he's into witchcraft, like everything else, probably, but I just don't think he's into witchcraft. And then I thought, okay, well, who, who really embodies this, this list? And then I, I thought back to, I was flicking through, I think, Prime or Netflix, one of the two, on Sunday night, thinking of something, looking for something to watch. And there is this series uh, on the Vikings, it's like a TV drama on the Vikings, right? And it's an 18, right? And I don't know if you ever do it, when you look on the rating and the rating comes up and it says next to the rating, all the words next to it, which is the reason why it's an 18. And I was like, oh gosh, it's pretty much everything on here. Um, so I was like, yeah, probably, you know, if you want something to really embody all of the things in this, the Vikings series on Prime probably is that, or there's probably many other series on Prime or Netflix which embody the acts of, of the flesh. So yeah, sorry about being kind to Liam Gallagher. To be honest, I don't think Liam Gallagher would mind me saying he embodies these, just if you know anything about him or have read about him, I don't think so at all. But basically the warning, you know, we see it here, it's a warning we see. The first thing about what it means to live by the flesh we see here is that it's it's contrary to the Spirit, okay? It's the opposite way of life to the life of the Spirit. Paul uses the word flesh um, to mean in this in this chapter, to mean the old sinful nature. So these are the characteristics of the old sinful nature, the old way of living before you came to Christ. And in verses 19 to 21, Obviously, Paul gives us this list of lifestyles that exemplify living by the flesh. Sexual immorality, impurity, debauchery, idolatry, witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and the like, which means that's not the end of the list. There's probably more stuff as well. And the warning in verse 21 is very clear that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God, okay? Okay. Now, just to be clear, it's not talking here about people who occasionally stumble in one of these areas. You know, because let's face it, all of us in some of these areas can can stumble. Jealousy uh, or envy or things like that. We can sometimes stumble at that. But what it's talking about here is people for whom these characteristics are a way of life. And for us, what Paul is saying, look, these things don't characterize you. You're people of the light. You are saved. These don't define you. These things don't characterize you, even if you do stumble or struggle every now and again with one or two of them. Okay, so that's what living by the flesh looks like. Okay, so what's the answer then? What's the right way to live in response to the gospel? Well, it's not by living by the flesh. We've seen that, verse 19 to 21. It's not by living by the law either. Um, We see that in verse 18, and also we see that in the rest of Galatians we're not to live by the law, the right way to live in response to the gospel is to live by the Spirit. So I'm going to spend the the rest of my time this morning just explaining what it means, what it looks like to live by the Spirit. Now, if Liam Gallagher embodies living by the flesh, anybody want to suggest who embodies living by the Spirit? Jesus, you're getting it. Every time I ask a question, the answer's always Jesus, okay? So just so you know that. Yeah, Jesus. I don't know if you've ever watched the, the series The Chosen. Maybe watched The Chosen? It's a TV series about the life of Jesus. Really, really powerful. I've, I've really enjoyed it. And it's just struck me as I was watching this series about just how Jesus just perfectly embodies all of the characteristics that we see in this passage. It's amazing. But I don't know if you noticed, Paul doesn't give us a, a step-by-step guide in this passage on how to live by the Spirit here. Now, that would have been quite nice. I'd have quite like that. I like a step-by-step guide how to do things. You know, five simple steps on how to live by the Spirit. I'd be like, great, right, step one, done. Step two, done. Step three, uh, that'd be nice. But Paul doesn't do that. Instead, what he does is he just tells us about the fruit of living by the Spirit. Now, the Greek word translated as fruit refers to the natural product of a living thing. That's what fruit is, the natural product of a living thing. And the living thing here is not us because we were dead in our sins. It's not us, but the living thing is the Holy Spirit. Okay? These characteristics are the natural product of the Holy Spirit living in a human being. When the Holy Spirit lives in a human being, these are the things that grow. These are the things that result. Okay, so if we're Christians, then the spirit is in us, and this is the fruit we will expect to see in our lives. And I just want to say before I'm going to read through the list and I'll explain it, but I just want to say the fruit of the spirit is not primarily stuff we try to do, but it is stuff that is produced in us. So it's not so much I got to try and do these things. It's more just looking out for them, you know, looking out for them in your own lives, okay? So let me go through the list. I'm just going to do a brief explanation of each of them as I go through. So we have love, which means to serve a person for their good and intrinsic value, not for what the person brings you. Then we have joy, which means delight in God for the sheer beauty and worth of who he is. Then we have peace, which is confidence and rest in the wisdom and sovereignty of God more than your own. And that leads to peace with others in other areas as well. Then we have forbearance or sometimes translated as patience. It's the ability to take trouble from others or life without blowing up or hitting back. That's patience. Then we have kindness. Kindness is practical kindness with vulnerability out of a deep inner security. Then we have goodness, which is sometimes referred to as integrity, which means honesty, transparency, being the same in one situation as another. Then we have faithfulness, which means loyalty, courage, being committed, utterly reliable, true to one's word. Then gentleness, which is often referred to as humility, which the best way of describing gentleness is self-forgetfulness. It's not all about you. And we have self-control, which is the ability to choose the important thing over the urgent. So that is the fruit of the Spirit. When the Holy Spirit is in us, it starts to produce those things. Now, anybody ever been in a Bible study on the fruit of the Spirit? Many of you have, but you can't remember. That's what I'm assuming, okay? I'm sure some of you have, right? Well, here's what happens. You get to the end of the Bible study. Guarantee you, these are three of the questions you will have at the end of your Bible study. Okay, application questions. Number one, what fruit do you see growing in your life? And you all go through and go, oh, this one, this one, this one, right? Then, next question, which fruit do you need to grow in? Oh, I'm pretty bad at gentleness and kindness. And like, you, know, you go through that, everyone goes around. And then the final question, what are some things you can do this week to help you grow in love or in joy or in peace? And you're Oh, we've got a prayer, we've got a Bible. Yeah, basically, those are the three questions you'll have In your Bible study. Now, the problem is these questions kind of miss the point. Because the fruit of the spirit is produced by the spirit, not the Christian. Okay? It's not something we grit our teeth and try to work harder at. That's the law way of doing things. No, it's already there, it's already growing in the life of the believer. So it's not so much I gotta try harder to do this stuff, it's I just gotta look out for it more. Just kind of notice it more. Myself. It's there. It's growing. You know, Elizabeth sometimes says to me, my wife, she'll sometimes say, she'll, she'll, she'll remark about how something, you know, the kids will do something and she'll be right, She'll say to me, you know, two years ago, that would have really annoyed me, but now it doesn't so much anymore. She, she just notices little ways how the Spirit is working in her. And I think that's what we've got to do, just to notice how God's working in our lives. Now, when most of us think of the fruit of the Spirit, I think the image that comes into our head, um, and this is because if you Google it, this is what you get, you get. The image that comes into our head is like different fruits, like a fruit bowl. Do we have a fruit bowl? Yeah. yeah. You kind of think of a fruit bowl. You think different fruits. Okay, so Paul's using this metaphor. Love is like an apple. Uh, Joy is a banana. Peace is a pear. You know, or maybe you match them up. You know, it's that, like, that's the kind of thing you do, don't you? And I think it doesn't help because if you Google fruit of the Spirit, you get loads of fruits. And you get loads of pictures. That, that's what happens, right? Different fruits. But the reality is in this passage, it's fruit, not fruits. It's singular. The word used is singular. It's one fruit, not loads of fruits, okay? Now, you might think, okay, what's the big deal? Well, I'll explain. But I think a better image, and I think we have a picture of it, a better image is it like like an orange, but it has nine segments. And all of these characteristics are parts of the one fruit. I think that's a much better, better image. Now, why does this matter? Why are we getting into like, you know, plural and all that kind of stuff? Well, I'm sure many of you know people in your lives, people who aren't even Christians, who actually, just because of their personality, are naturally a gentle person or a peaceful person, or naturally quite kind. They just, they just are. It's in their personality. It's in their DNA. Their dad was gentle, and they're gentle. It just, you know, I'm sure you can think of people who embody some of these characteristics just naturally. Now, is that the fruit of the Spirit? No, it is not the fruit of the Spirit. Now, same with you. Some of you sitting here are probably naturally disposed to some of these things. You might naturally be fairly patient person. You might naturally be a fairly gentle person. Again, it could just be in your DNA. It could be your personality. Again, is that the fruit of the Spirit? No, that's your personality type, okay? That's not the fruit of the Spirit. So how do we know it's the fruit of the Spirit and not just our personality? Well, we can tell it's the fruit of the Spirit when all of these characteristics are present in our lives, not just one or two of them. We can tell it's the fruit of the Spirit when all of these characteristics are present in our lives, not just one or two of them. Timothy Keller says this, the real fruit of the Spirit always grow together. They are one. It's not like I've got three of them and I've got, got, no, they are one. They always grow together. Now, that said, Paul is talking about a fruit in the passage, And my dad's an apple farmer. My dad's brother, my uncle is here. He knows about fruit. He knows about apples. He knows about growing apples. And the thing about fruit is fruit doesn't appear immediately. Fruit must grow. Fruit must mature. And sometimes the growing season for the fruit is pretty long. But the thing about fruit is if it's growing, you see it. You know it's there. Even if it's small, you still see it. We've got an apple tree in our garden And a month or two ago, uh, we started to see these tiny little green balls, these little apples appearing on the tree. And throughout the growing season, they're going to get bigger and bigger and bigger. And then they're going to eventually turn from green to red. Now, it doesn't matter what time during the growing season I look at that tree, I have no doubt what kind of tree it is because I can see the fruit on it. Even if they're small, I can still see the fruit. And that's what it's like for all of those who have the Holy Spirit in them, us believers. We're in the midst of our growing season. Now, none of us perfectly display love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. But if the Spirit is really in us, then they are seen at some level. They will be recognizable at some level. And maybe you can't see it, but other people can, but they will be recognizable. We take a breath? Good. I'm going to take a breath anyway. Uh, Now, I'm going to move on to next bit, next level. You ready for next level? Next level. Ready for, okay, Lambert's not sure. Uh, Now, as I said earlier, Paul doesn't give us a step-by-step guide of how to live by the Spirit, and that's because living by the Spirit is a relationship now, we don't have a template. We just have the fruit to tell us we're living by the Spirit. And I think the reason why there isn't a five things to do to live by the Spirit list is because if there was, then it would be just like the law, wouldn't it be? You know, five things they've got to do rather than 600 that the Israelites had in the Old Testament. It's just here's, you know, a bunch of things you've got to do and then you'll know you're living the right life. No, Paul doesn't give us that because living by the Spirit is a relationship, it's a relationship with God. So think less about the things, think more about a relationship with God. Now, if you think about it, a relationship, any kind of relationship, whether it's with your your spouse or a family member or a friend or a member, that, that relationship, it grows over time. And you get to know each other more and more over time. And you become, you know, and you might not like the sound of this, but you become more and more like each other over time, okay? We become like those who we spend time with. That's a simple fact of life. And what also happens is you, as you spend time with someone in relationship, you, you start to develop interest in things that didn't interest you before because of your relationship. You know, I now support Germany in the World Cup, okay? Because my wife is German and Northern Ireland never get to the World Cup. So, of course, i support Germany. I never would have supported Germany before. I was like, yeah, beat them. I wanted my first Ryan, but now I support them. But when we spend time in relationship with people, the things they like become things that we like. And it's the same with God. The more we invest in our relationship with God, the more we come to think the way he does, the more we come to act the way he does, the more this fruit grows in our lives. Now, we happy with that? good. We're all in agreement. That's good, because I'm going to take it a little different direction here, okay? Ready for this? So, sometimes what we can tend to do is listen to a preacher like this and go, Amen, relationship with God. I've got to get that quiet time sorted out. And that is good. Please do that, okay? But sometimes what we can tend to do is make our relationship with God quite individualistic. You know, it's me and God, you know? Now, one question I always ask people when I meet up with them is, How are you doing spiritually? And I kid you not, 99% of the answers I get are people responding, telling me how their quiet time's going. Honestly, it's like people have reduced their relationship with God with, I uh, only spend half an hour, you know, rather than... It's like, no, there's so much more to our relationship with God than just the time we spend on our own with God. This is growing our relationship with God. Being together is the body, you know. So it's so easy. We can, we can make our relationship with God quite individualistic, but we can also make our relationship with the Holy Spirit quite individualistic too. You know, we can often be here on a Sunday and pray, Lord, would you fill me with more of your Holy Spirit? I don't really care what you do with everybody else, Lord, (laughs) but I want some more, you know? Or, Lord, would you guide me by your Holy Spirit? If you don't give Jimmy over there or some guidance, I'm fine with that. I just want the guidance for me, you know? Now, I'm being a bit facetious here. It's good to ask for guidance in that way. It's good to ask to be filled by the Holy Spirit. But I'm just saying, sometimes we can veer a bit too much into the me and God. And we got to remember that the Holy Spirit has been given to the church, not just to us. Okay, we we weren't the only one who got it. It's been given to the church, to the people of God. Amen. Yes, so living by the Spirit can only take place in community. Community is vital when it comes to living by the Spirit. Think about it. How will you know that you're living by the Spirit? Let's say, you know, you've really grown in all these areas. How are you going to know you've grown? Okay, here's how, you're gonna, how you'll find out if the Spirit, fruit of the Spirit is growing in you. Here's how you find out, right? You'll find out if the fruit of the Spirit is growing in you by being around people who challenge your kindness. Okay? You hold the door open for someone at church and they don't say, thank you. You know? But you don't criticize them to your friends. No, you just, you let it slide because you're secure enough in yourself that you don't need to put other people down. So you know. So you know you're growing. Some some people are thinking, "Okay, that's a bit closer to home than (laughs) I want to admit. How do you know whether you're growing in gentleness? By being in situations where the natural response would be to be harsh or critical. You know, you're sitting here thinking, I'm on three serving rotas. Is that person over there there, on none? Like, I'm doing all the work. You know, you can look at that and you'd be like, actually, you know what? Rather than comparing, rather than getting annoyed... You just keep serving joyfully because you know, look, I'm blessing the body, I'm blessing the church, okay? When you, when, you, when you have that attitude, like, okay, you know what? There's growth here. A year ago, I'd have been annoyed, you know? But there's growth, there's change. How will you know that you're growing in patience? Well, you're going to be on kids' work one day and the person on with you shows up late, doesn't say sorry and hasn't really prepared, all right? And rather than being harsh with them, you absorb the frustration without blowing up or heading back, and you might even you might even look at yourself and be like, you know what? A year ago, I haven't done that. <laughs> a year ago, I'd have had a go at them. Okay, that's how we see it. it it's, it's in community. How will you know that you're growing in peace with others by being in situations where the natural response would be to exclude or condemn? Uh, a pastor told me recently about a, a, two people in his church, and they had a disagreement, and uh, he got them together to try and resolve this disagreement, and the meeting went okay, shall we say. It wasn't really a complete, it was a bit spiky and a bit, but it was okay. And he was speaking to one of the people who'd been involved in the disagreement afterwards. And this person was a a new believer, got saved two years ago from a working class background. And he said to this guy, I'm really impressed with you. The guy was like, why? The meeting didn't go that well. He's like, I'm impressed because I know a year ago, you'd have just punched him, wouldn't you? (laughs) And the guy was like, Yeah, I would have. Yeah, that's that's the fruit of the Spirit. Holy Spirit working your life right there. That's it. So we, we grow and we can see how we're growing in community. See, to live a life led by the Spirit is not a personal matter. It's not a private matter. To be living in community, in a church community, is vital. And it's the best place to be growing in a life that is led less and less by the flesh, but led more and more by the Spirit. I'm almost done. But I just want to say this, those kids, remember the kids at the start in the classroom? They got it, didn't they? They got it. They understood what the gospel was all about. Even the, even the teacher, even the RS teacher was like, wow, oh, well, I never, I never knew the gospel was that. That is amazing. She really was. I was like, oh, you're an RS teacher. Anyway, she was like really kind of bowled over. That is what the gospel is, amazing. One kid, even at the end of the class, puts their hand up, and in front of all our classmates, he says, uh, can I do the God swap now? <laughs> and I was like, that's so cute. A few others were like, I want to do it too. I want to do it too. This sounds good. It's great. <laughs> but, you know, our natural tendency as Christians, once we become Christians, is, is to fight the flesh. We know that's wrong. But to fight it with the law, with rules. And Paul is saying here, that's not the way to live. That's not the way to live by the Spirit. That's not what I want you to do. Don't fight it with rules. You're going to fail doing it that way. Because that's what the Galatians were doing. Four years ago, you may be aware if you're around then, I went to Uganda. I went to do some teaching out there, do some preaching, teaching some pastors. It was a great time. But I remember chatting to the pastor out there, and one of the pastors out there, and he said, look, in this region we're in right now, loads of people come to church, sing praises to Jesus, Say they're Christians, but then just go out the rest of the week and just act whatever way they want, like cheap grace. Just loads of that. It's so bad. Oh, I was like, oh, wow. Okay, that's, that's not good. That's not good. So then it comes to the Sunday, and I'm down to preach, and I'm thinking through what, you know, Lord, what should I preach on this, this Sunday? And I brought a few, like, sermons I preached in the past with me, and, you know, Lord, what should I preach on? And I thought to myself, okay, I've got this great sermon on Gideon about obeying God. Oh, this is what these people need. They need some obedience in their lives. They need some rules. And they'd be like, this is how you please God. You do this, 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 and this. And it it was a a good sermon. I'm not not selling it here to you. But I was like, right, that's what I'm going to do. Yes, that's what I'm going to preach. And I was just praying that morning before I did it. And I just had this sense of just this voice saying, no, Andy, I want you to preach on grace. And I'm like, Lord, I can't preach on grace, not here. Not with these people who are, you know, saying we love Jesus and just doing whatever they want. No, they need rules. They need some, you know, they need some stuff in their lives. They say, no, don't do this and don't do that. That's what I need to do here. You know, and to be having this conversation with God, you know, telling God about it. So I was like, look, So I went and had breakfast and I was mulling it over. I'm thinking it oh, over, Lord, I can't, I can't preach on grace. And I was like, so I got to the end of breakfast and I just prayed. I said, Lord, I'm gonna preach on Gideon about obedience. If you want me to preach on grace. And I never do this. I never ask for signs. I said, Lord, you're going to need to give me a sign. Okay? Walk back to my room, sit down in the bed. The window's open. And I kid you not, two seconds after I pray that prayer, I hear this woman in the distance, a beautiful voice. She just starts to sing, amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, now I'm finally blind. ah, oh, I was like... Bah. I was, all right, God, that's as clear as it's going to get. And I, I preached on grace that day. And, um, and, you know, it taught me a real valuable lesson. And it's this. The way we help people resist the flesh and live by the Spirit is not by preaching law, but by preaching grace even more. By, by placing the gospel in all its beauty before people more and more and more and more. And that is exactly what we see Paul do in the letter of Galatians. We're in a spiritual battle, everyone. We're fighting a spiritual battle. And fighting a spiritual battle with fleshly willpower is pointless. Look, we're going to lose. Okay? We can only fight this spiritual battle by living by the Spirit in relationship with God and in community with our brothers and sisters in Christ.